Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we talk about pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. Carly Adams is back, and today we are talking about Charlotte York and Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. When you join our Patreon community, you get access to all episodes, bonus content, invitations to our monthly happy hour, and a weekly drop-in hangout session that feels more like hanging out at a coffee shop. The cost is only $15 a month. When you join, we'll even give you a shout out in one of our episodes. Don't wait. Join us. Become a Pop Culture Club member today. Sex and the City first aired on HBO in 1998 and stars Sarah Jessica Parker, Kristen Davis, Cynthia Nixon, and Kim Cattrall. But before we dive into our topic, let me reintroduce you to my guest. Carly Adams is a home organizer based in Sacramento and owner of Tidy Revival. She has been featured on previous episodes, Moxie, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That. She is also a Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Patreon member, and I am so excited she's back again because as you all know, she is my friend in real life. Welcome back to the show, Carly. Thank you, Julia. You know this is one of my favorite places to be. I love that. I just feel like how are I feel like I feel like normally is the moment when you know you ban- when you banter with the guests, but I'm just like, what can we banter about that's appropriate for the show? Because all I want to ask are personal questions. <laughs> Absolutely nothing, Julia. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> or oh, I know. Tell everybody how you're doing a podcast now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or that. Or that. So the Tidy Revival podcast is here. By the time this comes out into the world, it will have been launched. Um, Julia's episode may have aired by now. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's coming soon. (laughs) And I'm really excited. I'm really excited. And it's because we're going to be talking about um, the emotional aspect behind decluttering and organizing. We're going to be getting super real, having uncensored conversations with people who have been in your shoes. Because what I found working with my clients and my students is that everybody feels really isolated in the process. And much like the very real conversations you have here, I just want people to know that they um, are not alone and to give them um just some really heartwarming and real talk and just some awesome, awesome stories to listen to that will hopefully inspire you to take action in your home. I love that. And I'm excited about the show because I think that's a thing that a lot of like organizing shows on television miss is the emotional element to it. Um, and we'll save all of my emotions for when my episode of yours drops. But I do want to say this. <laughs> do you remember when you came and helped me to help me clean out my child's uh, and organize my child's bedroom? And we found yes. a disc under the bed with what appeared to be some sort of like substance on it. And we were like, what is this? So I messaged him and he was like, oh, that's barbecue sauce. <laughs> do you remember that? I don't remember that specifically, but there were some nuggets from that day that will forever make me laugh. None of which I will share now. This um, is how I know you're a real friend because you still continue to be my friend after this, after that. Oh my gosh. I am obsessed with your offspring. 
obsessed. Me too. My, I, I will share this on the podcast. One of my greatest joys in the last year was using teen slang near him in order to thoroughly annoy him. <laughs> how bad I used it. And I felt like I reached like peak adult level. <laughs> so pissed. Aww. It was a great day. <laughs> he's so cute. I just love that boy. I love him. I can't believe he's not a baby anymore. I know. I still call him baby though. I can't blame you at all. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question before we dive into our topic. Yeah. Do you remember what you thought of rich or wealthy women or what messages you received about wealth and money when you were a kid? Yes, very specifically, um, because there was definitely a chunk of time when I was a kid where things were more lean. Um, My dad had a job change and that's what, um, so I'm actually from Colorado, which I don't usually talk about because I don't really remember much from then. Um, and we moved to the central Valley when I was four and a half. Um, so that was because of a job change. That's what brought us to central Valley. We don't have any family out there. Um, and so, yeah, things were more lean during that time while they're kind of like building things back up again. And, um, and I remember cause some things stuck with me, but I never felt like I had to go without like mm. a lot of it is like looking back and realizing like, oh, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, but I think that my parents made a really conscious choice to concentrate on teaching us about being grateful for what we had versus dwelling what we didn't. And I'm really grateful for that. And I even was grateful for that um, when I was a kid. Like I remember coming back from holiday break um, in school, like not just one instance, but every year, this was something that really bothered me as a child. <laughs> um, when you get back from the holiday break and kids ask you like, it's like, Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? And even as a, as a kid, the concentration in my family wasn't about gifts. It was about family time and like experiences and enjoying each other's company. And, you know, I grew up really religious. So it was like the reason for the season and mm-hmm. all of that. And so I would really get annoyed with like the other kids that they weren't asking me like how my family time was and (laughs) that they were concentrating on like just things versus caring about each other. Um, (laughs) But do you think that's because a lot in my experience as a parent, a lot of parents just give their kids stuff to leave the parents alone? So I wonder if that's true from when we were kids too, because like what I observe in my son's peers and their parents, I'm kind of hor- not horrified. That's extreme. I'm disappointed on ha- in how many parents aren't actively making an effort to know who their children are as teenagers. I don't know everything about my kid. Like that's just true period. Yeah. That's true for any parent of a teen. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how he is with his entire friend group, but I know how he is with some of his friends, the ones that mean something to him. Yeah, And like, actively make an effort to get to know him his likes his dislikes you know all those things personality his personal things that are deeper than the substance and I don't see that in a lot of his not a lot his his close-knit group you you can kind of tell but Mm -hmm. like on in the wider net we've had experiences where he's encountered children and their parents are just not involved here's money leave me alone 
here's a video game, leave me alone. Don't bother me kind of shit. And I just don't understand that. I mean, yeah, give me 20 minutes after I get home from work. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we definitely, um, and it's worth noting that I am a child of the eighties. So there was a lot of free range parenting as they say. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of go outside and play, um, you know, and then we're just like getting into mischief. Um, but yeah, maybe it was cause we didn't, like my parents shouldn't just throw money at it, you know, but we were just like, I don't know. We were outside a lot in a good way. Yeah. So, um, like I had, a, you know, we had some favorite sticks we played with and stuff. And, and that sounds like really weird, but it was awesome. Yeah. Like, I love that. I mean, I paint- up, like, remember those sticks? Like yeah, I, man, paint- sticks yeah. right. I painted rocks. <laughs> yeah, like, like, who I- does that? <laughs> I was- Everyone in 2020. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, no, I was like, I was obsessed with American girl. Mm, same. I loved American girl. Who and, was your girl? Oh, um, oh my gosh. Why am I blanking? Felicity. I'm like, now is not the time to blank. Felicity. I remember getting in trouble one time. I read somebody called Felicity in a book. They called her a chit. It was a slang rude term. And I used it in real life and I got in trouble because it sounded way too much like the SH Oh my god. <laughs> that stuck with my whole life. But I had the American Girl books mm-hmm. and I had the American Girl paper dolls. And yeah. I had the American Girl catalog. Yeah. And I used to spend hours and hours adding things up, like different combinations of like, if I could, what would I get? Well, like that was like enough. Yeah. I was like have all these memories of just like fond memories of looking through a catalog and adding up sums. Like yeah. <laughs> And it, and it, like a very fulfilled, happy, happy child memories. Like in no way was I ever like, why can't I have a doll? I was like, now nah, these dolls are pretty expensive. I don't think that's going to happen. It doesn't yeah. really seem reasonable to me, but I can play with the catalog. You're um, such an oldest child. I'm such a dork, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think I realized that wealth gaps existed, you know, like my third grade friend had an American girl doll and the mm-hmm. bed and the wardrobe and the outfits and all the things. So like, I understood it, but I also didn't have, it felt more factual versus judgmental. Oh, like, okay. Like, Oh, some people have more money and some people don't. Okay. Versus like a sadness or sure. Yeah. Like a, like a longing or jealousy. So how does that translate? Do you think into how you view wealthy women in media? That's an excellent question. I don't know that I've ever really taken the time to like dissect it. Sure. From that point of view. I mean, have we ever thought about it before? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think it's interesting too, like, um, socioeconomically where my family, I'm just going to say like statistically ranked, um, in our, our, household how much we made yeah, or whatever yeah, where yeah. where where we fell on that spectrum um was different by like the end of high school than it was when I was four and a half when we moved to Colorado yeah which I feel like is not untypical like my parents were in a much better financial place when I was in high school than when my siblings were in high school and remember there's an age gap I don't think yeah the age gap but you had siblings in between you and your youngest sister there is no sibling my next sibling mm. is five years older. Mm-hmm. 
But something I also think about is that when we moved to California, like my parents, my mom was in her late twenties. Mm. My dad was in his early thirties. Mm. And I think about where I was at that age and I was just a mess. So the fact that my parents like had kids. <laughs> three children that they were keeping alive and like yeah. being good parents to, you know, I'll take it. Um, Cause I was, again, cannot stress this enough was just a mess. So, you know, there's that too. Yeah. Um, but I, and I know we're going to get into it more. Sex in the city had a very specific effect on me. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. Charlotte York is the ultimate wasp. And for those who don't know, that is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Technically, she says she's Episcopalian, but like same different sides of the same coin, right? She's polished, refined, and incredibly proper. Kristen Davis embodies this character with the elegance and grace one expects from a woman whose main goal in life is to marry and have children and uh, marry well. Like, that is the goal. In the early seasons, she works as an art gallery director. In season three, she meets and marries Trey, an even waspier man whose family's generational wealth is just as blinding as the plaid apartment. After a short marriage, the now-divorced Charlotte is the proud owner of that perfect plaid apartment, redecorated. She lived in with Trey and a million bucks in the bank because that's what their prenup allowed. Do you think Charlotte's life and timeline uphold stereotypes and ideals? I think that Charlotte is such an interesting character and mm -hmm. I'm really happy we're having this conversation um first of all I have to tell you that the con concept of wasp had to be fully explained to me in college I had no idea what that meant um the only reason why I knew is because my mom was so bitter about being a very light Italian and people assuming she was a wasp when she grew up Catholic oh that's very interesting mm -hmm. that's very interesting okay yep. and um, then she'll probably text me after she listens to this message something I got wrong in there go ahead. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Washington. Um, so I really feel like Charlotte's ideals fit an expectation that I think a lot of people have present day for Ooh. themselves or others. And it really spans wealth divides. And the thing, so I have notes in case anyone's wondering if this is like off the top of my head it yeah is no a lot we to prepared, say about this i listener friends at home all the guests get the question in advance because we don't ask easy questions it's and i true. don't and i don't want thoughtless answers that's not the point of the show 
<laughs> um, so I think the thing that's easy to forget about Charlotte's story on the surface is how short of a time that we have women as women have had options yeah. to vote, to have a bank account in mm-hmm. our own name and not our, and our husband's and or father's um, own property. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, most of history, the option for your own upward mobility and that of your family was to marry up financially. Yeah. Like that needed to be the goal to help you and your whole immediate family survive. Um, and sometimes like survive. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think- little women is the prime example because Meg, if Meg doesn't marry well, what does that mean for the rest of the family? Exactly. She's setting the precedent for everybody else. Yep. Um, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, you're great. I think that traditionally, like it's just not something that can go away so easily. And considering that she is a wasp, there's a lot kind of ingrained mm-hmm. in your family around wealth and tradition and upward mobility. Um, so having these decisions in the first place that can absolutely include um, getting married to someone who can financially support you, your children, which was also her goal. So you can stay home with them mm-hmm. and, or get even more support. Um, I do want to throw this in here as somebody who is a business owner, um, a college grad, I don't have children. It is by choice. And I do want to work outside the home. And that is something that I love. I fully recognize that all of those are choices Mm -hmm. that we did not have, um, in recent time. Um, and I also know that if I had more means, there were probably plenty of things that I would be getting help on lickety split. So can't really knock Charlotte, you know, that much because money gives you options. Um, and I think it does hold an ideal, but it's not everyone's ideal and that's okay too, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think Charlotte is exactly the American woman representation in the sense that I don't have any friends who identify as female I mean I don't know what I can't actually I can't speak for you but I'm recalling at this moment I don't I can't recall any friend who wasn't told something like well when you get married he should be able to provide he should be able to provide Mm mm-hmm there's a line in Almost Famous when Kate Hudson's character is explaining herself to um, William Miller. They're walking through Central Park and she's like, my mother always said, marry up and marry well. And that's why she named me Lady. And that always hit me super hard because it's like just the idea of giving your daughter a name that sounds like it could be something, you know, higher level hoping that she'll have a better life than you because she's married up and married well Mm -hmm. like that's and that movie takes place in 73 and you know my mom was 23 and 73 so I'm gonna go with it's by the way she recounts the 70s it doesn't sound like it's that far off in its interpretation yeah I mean even in 
and Julia knows this, this isn't something I talk about all the time because why, but, um, when I was in my very early twenties, I was engaged for a short time to something, some one that didn't work out and that is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, for the best. So everyone we're, we're fine with it, but yeah, we're very fine with it. Cause we really do like who you ended up with a oh lot more, just like amaze balls. But, um, but the point is, you know, I was 21 and at that time, fully expected to get married, probably have children quickly. And people were thrilled for me, thrilled. And so I think that there are plenty of people still where if, you know, you told somebody at 21, you're about to get married. And I mean, he didn't have a lot of means, but I'm sure if I had told, if I, it was somebody of means and my plan was to stay at home, be taken care of, have help, raise children. And that's pretty much it. And maybe be on the board of something and, um, yeah, just live my life. I cannot imagine that many people in my life at that time would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you thinking? I think people would just be thrilled for you. Yeah. Yeah. Her transition on the show is actually interesting too, because post her divorce, you know, Harry Goldenblatt, Goldenblatt mm -hmm. is, you know, her divorce lawyer and she, he's not, is she, he's not anything that she, the show has established that Charlotte would want in a man other than he's got money. Um, and so, you know, I think his character coming in helps I don't want to say loosen her up because I don't want to say she's uptight. She's not uptight. Like that's the part of Charlotte that kind of bothers me is when people view her as uptight mm -hmm. because it's like, well, you don't, I, not that I fully understand wasp culture. I don't, but I understand it enough to know that Charlotte is a byproduct of that culture. So, you know, they're a little bit more conservative. They're a little bit more proper. She, she says a line somewhere in the show. I can't remember, but I want to say it's before the divorce. And she says something like, oh, no, we don't yell. We're wasps. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I feel like even if somebody doesn't identify directly as being a wasp, like we had a family, we had somebody marry into the family who solidly grew up in a white home. Mm -hmm. Like no ethnic anything and we were too much we were too loud we were too opinionated we were too loud i'm i'm giggling because um folks at home even if you see video of me probably can't tell um but i'm half mexican i'm half very 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 white and um the two backgrounds it's there's some similar stories yeah. where it's very different culturally and like just how opinions are presented. presented. <laughs> like Charlotte can't like, wait, and that's why she and Sam are such a great dynamic that we discussed today because she literally can't handle Samantha's just full on. I mean, this is the expression and we should find a new one balls out. I'm this I was what I'm taught fuck what you know yeah. like we're mm -hmm. talking about sex like why are you like why are you bristling because that's not the culture that she and grew up in and you know people argue that white people don't have culture blah 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 I get it but like if you want to look at a culture that is basically colonialism it's wasps 
Yeah. And I, my favorite scenes in Sex and the City are the ones where Charlotte. Did I say colonialism? I meant colonizers. (laughs) I, I, I got it. I'm so glad. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. You're seeing Charlotte go. My favorite scenes are the ones where Charlotte just storms out without a word. Like Sam Samantha says something, Charlotte has had enough for the day and just leaves. Yeah. I think it's happened once, maybe twice, but it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, if that's the kind of life you're looking to have, she kind of does have the this is the this is the ideal um this is the way to do it I mean granted her first marriage didn't work out and that's you know sad but also she did it she did what she was supposed to do and it's a chapter too you know like some chapters are longer than others I will say though that I you know she did advocate herself for herself in a lot of ways because the original prenup was like not a million dollars I think it was it was a hundred grand and no apartment yeah and so you know she did go to bat for herself there which is kind of like you go girl yeah and actually the prenup was just a million but no apartment Trey just gave her the apartment after the split yeah because she loved it and she and because just redone it yeah and I think because too bunny was just being so awful about the whole thing yeah Bunny perfectly cast, by the way. Yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and too, even her education, getting an art degree to be an art director. Like, I feel like that's a narrative that I hear a lot about when we talk about sort of that wasp culture. I keep calling it a culture, but you know what I mean. It's a um, culture. Yeah. You know, like you get a degree that doesn't necessarily, it's like art, art history, history. You know, something that is like a, I have an English degree, so I really shouldn't say it like this, but it kind of feels that way. Like it's one of those degrees where you could kind of do anything with, and there's not like any, when we were kids, my impression was there's not any clear direction of what you would do with an art degree or a history degree or an English degree. Like you just get those degrees to get through college you know, the generation before us, you know, my mom's generation, actually, I think our parents are significantly different in age too, but my mom's generation, you go to college to get your MRS degree. Why, why would you go to college if you weren't going to come out a Mrs. and a college dropout? I have heard that so many times, so many times. People saying that to you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Not, not me specifically, but certain schools within my community that um people would go to and be like okay so when are you getting married you know and it was just totally fine and half expected my my parents did stress to us that they wanted us to finish school and even from when I was younger really young it was basically like you never know what's going to happen to your husband still husband in that story Um, Mm -hmm. you never know what's going to happen, um, to your husband. So you need to, um, go to school and get your degree because if something doesn't work out or if they've like killed him off in this scenario, like basically (laughs) if he dies, you need to be able to support yourself and your children. So go to school, finish school was something that they always, um, 
it was that really did feel like an expectation. Didn't matter what degree, didn't matter what school. Um, but they were like, you should, you should finish. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you can't go wrong with having an education. I wish it was more accessible. When my dad went to USC, it was not as expensive as it is now. Yeah, man. Tuition. Oh, go ahead. I say, honestly, like there's no way I could send my child to USC if he had applied and gotten in with the cost at the state school that I went to, which was SF state go Gators, um, went up legit. And I took my time through school, but not that much time. Tuition went up a hundred percent while I was there. Ouch. Yeah. Like what? Another thing about Charlotte that I thought was really interesting about her character when, um, Carrie needs to buy her apartment off of Aiden and she needs like 40 grand for a down payment or whatever. And Carrie's livid that Charlotte won't give her the money. Yeah. And I, that situation, I was on team Charlotte. That's a lot of money. It's a a lot lot of money. money. And Carrie has demonstrated she is not fiscally responsible. Yeah. We'll get to this at the end, but Carrie was my ideal. Um, Ask me how that worked out. She was a lot of girls, women's ideal. She was. Everybody wanted to be a Carrie. I know the episode's not about Carrie, but everybody wanted to be a Carrie. And I'll get into this when Cache comes on, but like Carrie sucks. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah Jessica Parker. I fucking love you. But Carrie sucks. I mean, she basically killed Big, but anyway. Uh, and not not even just that like how indignant she was about the guy who got her pregnant when she got the abortion did you even tell the guy that you were pregnant like he i'm sorry the if a man walks up to me and i don't remember sleeping with him and he acts indignant i'm sorry how was this 20 years ago you want me to remember 20 years ago or in Carrie's case, 13 years ago. He doesn't know the significance of that situation because you never told him. Also, he's just at work. It's like seeing your teacher at the grocery store. Yeah. If that was your teacher 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Yeah. I don't know. She was just, I'll get into it when I know, comes I on. know. We could really, <laughs> we will not. We're cutting it off now. Yeah. We're going to be done here. Um, What were some of your favorite Charlotte moments? Oh my gosh. So many. So my like best friend in college was a Charlotte and I wasn't Gary and <laughs> it was really a Samantha and, <laughs> and, um, also I have to share, I was going to say it later, but I'll say it now. Um, so I, I loved the show. That's something you need to know about this. I loved it <laughs> with my whole heart. I, Oh, you're jumping ahead. I know. Okay. I, I will. The one thing I will say is that we were both RAs. And as RAs, you had to like be in charge of some programming and basically my recurring program <laughs> that I just did more than anything else was just watch, the city watch parties <laughs> <laughs> poorly attended. Didn't care. <laughs> Didn't care at all. It was just mostly me and my boyfriend at the time. If I, he'd let me drag him to it. My other friend who was another RA and we were just having a ball <laughs> Watching Sex and City on the big screen is fantastic. Um, Were you drinking Cosmos? We would we would make faux Cosmos because it was the dorms. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we would make Virgin Cosmos. 
oh my god the story just keeps getting better and better <laughs> so some of my, <laughs> some of my favorite charlotte moments include ooh, okay her storming out when she just like can't take take something that samantha says about sex she just like leaves mm-hmm. um there's any time where she gets really she just does this little like no head shake when something is like not acceptable and it's yeah. just like Mm-mm. like that's kind of she doesn't make the sound but that's what you imagine with her yeah. face this like yeah. cute little shake it's so adorable um any <laughs> the whole bunny thing I like will never forget her sitting down and she's like bunny's back like at <laughs> breakfast I think she had like a cute headband yeah um in oh I think this was in the movie the first That's okay. one where she had the it was where she had the miscarriage and then she was inspired but oh no 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 sixth it's, season yeah as I say it was when Miranda was pregnant or yeah. Brady's first birthday or something Brady's like first birthday and it's when they got back together I want to say sixth season maybe fifth anyway she had a miscarriage and um she was like really really inspired by elizabeth taylor's like Mm -hmm. story on tv and then she decided to she decided to come to brady's birthday after all and harry was already there so it was just her and she like emerged out of her apartment just completely inspired and she had her glasses and this gorgeous pink Mm -hmm. strapless dress and she had her hair up and she just kind of like dusted herself off and confidently walked down the street and I was just like bawling my face yeah, off yeah um and she's just such a she's a sweetie she has a really really big heart and her eternal optimism mm-hmm. was just so endearing and um all and my last favorite moment that I'll share is like <laughs> she's like you know I've been dating for 15 years where is it yes yes that's totally a line I remember <laughs> And I feel like that's perfect for her character because that's her role is to get married and have the babies. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was, so I first watched Sex and the City when I was like newly 19 and having grown up in a culture that was very focused on marriage, Mm -hmm. obviously like got engaged very young. um, I definitely felt that way. Like I remember thinking, like when I was in my early 20, early 20s, like, where is he already? Like, what's, why have I not found the one? And looking back, I'm like, oh my God, chill yeah. out, <laughs> chill out. My dad was always like, you have your whole life to be with someone. But at the same time, it was definitely a culture that like promoted getting married. So mixed yeah. messages, but <laughs> yeah. Like but yeah, it was just like, when is it going to happen for me? Mm-hmm. And um, kind of, I regret that. Yeah. Do you remember how they all sort of kind of, did they all gang up on her when she said she was going to quit her job to marry Trey? Yeah. That felt yeah. kind of, that felt kind of shitty because she's doing what she's supposed to do. I mean, I don't agree with it personally. I was always told have your own money because you never know what's going to happen. And so for, but her friend, like, this is who she is. This is what she wants. And her friends are basically telling her she's stupid for it. Like, that's how it felt to me. 
Yeah. I mean, I think in the episode, I think they were trying to write Carrie as like the supportive one. And she <laughs> Carrie think... never came off as the supportive one. <laughs> they tried to write her How as the selfish this is a cult one. phenomenon is like be like beyond me sometimes because I'm just like, this show is trash, but I can't stop watching it. <laughs> I I rewatched the whole thing recently. I own all six seasons on DVD, and whenever it's on TV, I watch it. So clearly, this trash attracts me. <laughs> Hello, trash. <laughs> It's I'm me. in. Um, pour myself a Cosmo really quick. Um, yeah, yeah. I I remember Carrie. I want to say Carrie said something to the effect of like, "Are you really sure, sweetie?" Mm. And she's like, "And then, but that's kind of like it." Yeah, everybody was basically like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, it's like I'm just gonna focus on. I'm just gonna focus on this. And there's so much going on. You better redo the apartment. Yeah, it just felt like a lack of understanding of like, hey. It- we get that this is what you want we don't agree but we'll still support you yeah yeah it wasn't necessarily the most empathetic show in a lot of ways (laughs) Blair Underwood being the first black character and it's like the last season it's fine (laughs) it's not but (laughs) it's not he's fine though so (laughs) that man is hot yeah it was a bit it was a bit much on the hot Mm, scale yeah it actually was a little (laughs) end up with Miranda when Miranda did up, it was like oh why wouldn't you want to wake up to that every day Steve's adorable but fuck I will have to send you there's this comedian I follow and she does like the best Steve impression <laughs> well and I when, can't wait for that to end up in my inbox oh my gosh it's really really accurate yeah <laughs> omg have we covered all the charlotte you want to cover yeah okay one of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing rating and reviewing our podcast on apple podcasts sharing with other users while you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by team pop culture makes me jealous i'm gonna be honest writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple, this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. Are you subscribed to our YouTube channel? It's the only way to be sure you never miss our live shows like Still Comfy or the awards coverage I do with Movies with Mr. Mario. We're on YouTube as Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. Subscribe today. Samantha Jones is a self-made woman. She is fierce and motivated. She is unlike any other character seen on television at this time. With her unwavering confidence and wealth, Samantha is notorious in more ways than one. Her PR firm is one of the best. Sam knows what she wants and she goes for it. She's sex positive before sex positive was a buzzword. She is Charlotte's complete opposite. Throughout the series, Samantha has three major relationships, none of which she enters into willingly. But Sam works hard to not lose herself when love comes knocking. But love doesn't define Sam in the way that it does for any of the other three women. Sam is a holdout, the one who isn't worried about finding that one true love. So what are some lessons that we could learn from Samantha Jones? Oh my gosh. I love me some Sam. I think that the biggest lesson that we should all learn from Samantha Jones is to love yourself above all else. Oh yeah. 
<sighs> so much. Um, okay. So I have a bit of a high horse. Um, no, 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 not high horse. What is it? Soapbox. So I have box. a bit of a soapbox okay. to jump on to real quick. Hold on. Let me get ready. I'm Some ready. people, when I get into it, they're like, hmm, sounds high horse to me, but that's <laughs> fine. Here's what I think. I have a really big problem with our society and I've been thinking about this a lot. If anybody is listening to this and knows of some sort of nonprofit that addresses this specific situation, please send me the information because I really want to get involved. Um, I, my problem with society as a whole is that we really concentrate on teaching young girls that they are princesses. Mm. And because of that, it often teaches us that we need to wait for Prince Charming to come and save us. Mm -hmm. And it really puts the emphasis on us finding a relationship as the thing that is our number one goal mm -hmm. and the thing that matters. And instead, I think that it would do our society as a whole a much better service if we taught girls to love themselves above all else instead of seeking external validation in the relationships that they have with somebody else i think that we should really be teaching young girls to find value within themselves to be their own best friend to seek love and support from within as like the ultimate goal to love yourself first to rely on yourself first to be yourself as number one versus finding love. And I believe this with my whole heart. And I say that as someone who is married to a man that I love and is great. That being said, I think what we do to young girls, as far as like making the concentration about finding a relationship is number one, like, I think it's utter bullshit. And I don't think it's doing anyone any favors. I think it's a huge detriment. And I think Samantha Jones really goes against the grain in that way. And I really appreciate that. I wish that I spent more time learning from her because she got, she got a lot of flack. I mean, I can make, I made a Samantha joke earlier. Everybody knows, everybody gets that joke. Samantha jokes are always a hit. Mm -hmm. If I was a comedian a Samantha joke would be in my type five because everybody gets it and it gets a laugh every time. It's a very, very easy joke. Um, and I saw this show, as I mentioned for the first time at 19, like just newly 19. Um, so there's parts of it that I wish that I had unraveled for myself emotionally earlier, like mm. financial literacy specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's others like the sex positivity that I'm really grateful for um, because I think it helped remove a lot of stigma and shame from that world, um, which I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily get that messaging earlier in life in the, the community that I grew up in um, religiously because I knew you and I grew up in the same like geographical uh yeah community. but we also both grew up in religion different religions but yeah the messaging is similar mm -hmm. in that i mean we had fucking purity cer ceremonies and we had somebody in the auditorium peddling promise rings and mm -hmm. you know that 
anytime somebody got married at 19 we all knew it was so they could have sex yeah like the emphasis on how you have to save yourself because you need to be pure i mean the acting skits they did like when i think back on the amount of propaganda i was fed that was actually super harmful when it came to not only my racial identity my self-identity my sexual identity all of it dude yeah and on top of on on top of all of that there's also a huge stigma at least in mine to get divorced Mm-hmm. Which means that you're oh, yeah. just essentially pressuring people to get married quickly and stay so that, that they can have sex, but then shaming them for wanting to leave a marriage, but they entered into it really quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, what? That's what we, we had a pastor who wouldn't remarry couples. If you were divorced, he refused to marry you again. Oh, cool. That's a great story. I mean, it's it it's shit, me really happy. Yeah, it's shit like that. So how do you interpret? Like, how am I supposed to interpret that as a fifteen-year-old? Yeah, that means exactly. you marry once, and you marry once. You better get it right quickly, mm-hmm. or the de- desire to have sex <laughs> sets in. <laughs> better get on it. Yeah, why, I, that's why the age of consent in the South is probably fifteen. Sorry, if that was a low blow. Actually, in some states, it's 14. Yeah. Um, not a joke, just facts. Just um, facts. Yeah, I appreciate Samantha. I think that she she came, not, not came across, but I think that she was kind of intended and written sometimes as like selfish. Mm-hmm. But I... I think that she explained herself well in that she's like, I'm number one. I worry about me. And the thing is, it's not selfish if you're the only one. Yeah. It's it's not like she was a mother and was ignoring her kids. It's not like she was married and ignoring her spouse. Mm -hmm. She's like, it's me. I'm number one. And I remember she said to Smith, um, I think it was when they broke up. She was like, I love you. I just love me more. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always appreciated how, like you said, how honest she was about that and what made her a great partner to Smith and to that Richard. Richard, thank you, was because she loved herself more and because mm-hmm. she loved herself so wholeheartedly that made space for her to be able to love them too in the ways that they you know what I mean like it wasn't like this not that love is a competition but when you're seeking it and the only goal is to find love you're not necessarily looking for a the right partner you're just looking for a partner so it skews a lot of the stuff that happens when you are embarking on those relationships because you have an end goal our end goal is to be married in a year. Our end goal is to be, you know, so rather than just in entering into a relationship because of whatever that initial spark or you're intrigued by each other and letting it sort of develop naturally, you know, she that's what she does. She's like, I already know who I am. I don't need you. This is fun. So let's have fun. And then that gives her space to actually develop a relationship. And that freaks her out too. Do you remember how she would get freaked out? And she wasn't pouring all of herself 
into this other person Mm -hmm. every time she was in a relationship. Yeah. Because she didn't have that kind of time. She had shit to do. Yeah. And it wasn't so... I don't know. It's heartbreaking to watch sometimes. Well, and the other part that's kind of frustrating to me is, you know, when I look at reflections about Sex in the City or people sort of talk about the four women. Do you remember the Super Bowl ad that they had her do, Kim Cattrall, where she's, you know, sultry and sexy? She's basically naked in this ad, walking to get into the tub, and everyone lost their shit. This is pre JT and Janet, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't understand because I hadn't seen the show at the time because I think it was like 2000 or like mm-hmm. 1999 or something like that. And a friend of mine had an older friend, this person's seven years older. So it's a family friend because they're friends with my siblings had to explain to me that's kind of her character on the show, though. Like, she's just like that. And at the time, it didn't make sense because I hadn't seen the show. I didn't understand why she was being seductive. I didn't understand like. I just, I just didn't get it. And then now fast forward and I see the show and I don't see her as a seductress. I kind of feel like that ad did her dirt, her character dirty and sort of was saying like, oh, she's the slut of the show. I think, I think there was a lot of messaging out there being like, she's the slut of the show. Mm -hmm. Even though the show was about sex, everybody was having sex. They just had different nudity clauses. And each character had a different way they went about sex compared to Charlotte, who literally won't do half of anything sexually that Samantha will do, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah. Because everyone's comfort level is different. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just because Samantha's willing to explore more doesn't mean doesn't mean that she's and so i feel like so part of me when kim control kind of when people are like oh i'm so sad she won't come back or there's a feud between her and sjp blah blah i'm like y'all did her fucking dirty anyway she's she she knows better she knows when to let it go because we were all trashed to samantha and she's like no thanks i'm good got my money and run <laughs> i'm playing the mother on how i met your father i'm good yeah i'm over here telling my story on a couch yeah <laughs> Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Yeah. I love Sam. What are some of your favorite um, scenes with her? Oh my gosh. Okay. One. No, I'm not even going to get into it. I watched (laughs) when I was rewatching, there was an episode actually like really pissed me off, but I was like, we're not going to talk about that right now. Cause that, that'd be like its own episode. Okay. Um, the episode where you heard she... that everybody carly's coming back to talk about that specific episode okay go ahead <laughs> i love that you're muffling your mouth your laugh while i'll just like bold into the microphone let it rip <laughs> <laughs> um so when she takes she ends up meeting this college student named sam jones oh and then uh-huh. he's a virgin she takes his virginity and then he's like sam i love you and he's like <laughs> sobbing and she's like oh like i love that um i love when she got with smith jared and she like basically was stalking his restaurant to be his last table and just kept yeah. ordering food and then yeah. it's between like it just kept dwindling dwindling and then she goes up to this girl i was seeing thinking about this the other day and she's like listen 
like I'm gonna fuck him so you like basically let's just call it quits I've got your meal and and like a bonus or whatever and she's like sound good and the woman like stares at her and is like yeah all right yeah (laughs) um yeah there's also this anything anything like hamptons related Mm -hmm. was always just super fun um when they went to la Mm -hmm. oh and then the ultimate oh i was just telling this to Corey, and he was like what um so (laughs) i'm like remember this one time he's like no not even a little bit um so there was this episode where they went to a baby shower and um it was some friend in connecticut and then at the baby shower they found out that the name they were going to use was charlotte's name and she told that woman years back that that was her name and i guess this was in season one and since charlotte didn't use it yet i think it was shayla something like that yeah yeah and they were like i can't wait for baby shayla and she's like what did you say? And they're like, yeah, the name it's Shayla. And she was like, that's my name. And she's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, no, I told you, I told you I was going to use that name. She's like, I don't, I don't think so. And then Sam walks up and she's like, what's going on? She's like really interesting. She's like, she stole my name. She just turns to him and says, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Just the level of friendship instantly taking Charlotte's side, knowing nothing else about the story. I was like, hell yes that's that's, a good friend that's a good friend to say that to a pregnant person whose party you're at (laughs) and then they just leave it's the best my favorite samantha moment is after is after she's been diagnosed with breast cancer and she's parked in that best oncologist ever waiting room and there's a nun in there with her and she's just trying so hard to get in and the secretary or the receptionist is like no 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 and then sees her in a magazine with smith jarrett and was like oh my god you're his girlfriend and she's like yes and if i get treatment here he'll probably be coming with me and she's like she doesn't like it when i do this but i can totally schedule you for an appointment at 7 30 in the morning and she's like i'll take it and make an appointment for her too I'm like, girl, you don't even know this woman. And you fucking did her the biggest goddamn solid. Like, you want to talk about being in a position of power and making somebody... Like, you literally saved this woman's life. And they probably don't have that much in common. Yeah, because it's a nun. Which it's I think a is nun. the point. I think that, that's oh, the yeah, point. Oh, yeah, the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> and she's like, it's happening for both of us. It gets me every time I see that every time that scene happens, it gets me every time because to me, that is like so femme forward. That's so like, fuck you system. We're going to survive this together and I'm going to take these bitches with me. Oh yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because that doesn't happen a lot in Sex and the City. No. No. It doesn't happen a lot in a lot of shows. Yeah. But yeah, that was an amazing moment. That's the best. That's my favorite. And then also, I just love it when she's in relationship with Smith. <laughs> he's so stink. I think he's so stinking cute. 
And I just love how he's just so chill. And he's like, yeah, babe, like all these things. I'm like a surfer dude and I'm hot and I only want you. And I just, oh, to me, that's the dream to have a guy who's like clearly super like and he's not super famous when she meets him, but she helps him get there becomes uber super famous and he's still all about sam like oh that's when i think about how i've been brainwashed about love and probably has a cinderella complex because that's a real thing and like all the other things like how i'm obsessed with rom-coms and all that stuff i'm like at the end of the day it's that's the that's the story that i think is still gonna happen for me the smith mm-hmm. i'm into it <laughs> The Jerry Jared. <laughs> Jerry Jared. Oh, that's not going to work. <laughs> Amazing. I fucking love Sam. She's probably my favorite. Mm. Somebody yeah. one time compared me to Miranda and I got so offended. And they're like, why are you offended? Miranda is smart and she's confident and she's a single mom and she's got a great job. And I was like, and she fucking sucks. She's angry all the time. She's mean to everybody. Like, what? So you're equating me to Miranda because I'm smart and because I have a kid? I'm scared. (laughs) Should we not be friends anymore? That's like, here's the thing. I love Miranda. But we all know that's like, if I was talking, we were talking about friends with a friend earlier today. Um, She's she was like, yeah, I think I remember saying you were the Phoebe. You you reminded me of Phoebe and you seemed to get really pissed. I was like, yeah, because I probably took it as like, oh, you're the weirdo of the group <laughs> because I was in my twenties. And that's like how I took it at the time. Yeah. But I feel like that's how like in sex in the city, if you're like, oh, you're like, you're the Miranda. It's like, get the fuck out of here. What? Why yeah. would you say that to me? Yeah. Cause I mean, and this was 10 years ago, probably 12. Now I'm just like, yeah, Miranda's probably having you know she's surviving her own version of the patriarchy figuring out her life and she did do really really well for herself considering but when I'm 26 and I'm trying to like survive and all I can see is Miranda being a shitty human because they're all shitty (laughs) yeah when you're 26 you just want to be a Carrie yeah and especially because I was pursuing writing like (laughs) That was my legit like, nah, profession. I don't see that for you. Right? You're Miranda. Who's just like, oh, I'm, we can't be friends anymore. Actually, oh. I don't think I'm friends with that person anymore. Yeah, fair enough. I called you a Miranda. She called me Miranda. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. Every Tuesday night, you can tune into Instagram Live and watch Still Comfy, a show where Julia Washington, host of Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, and Natalie Katona, host of To All the Men I've Tolerated Before, take a deep dive into pop culture properties they once loved to see if they still stand the test of time or review new iterations of beloved shows, celebrity biopics, and television reboots of movies or old ideas. In addition to co-producing and co-hosting the live show on Instagram, the pair takes to YouTube and go live to discuss new movies that are rooted in pop culture infamy. 
Subscribe to Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous's YouTube channel and never miss an episode. If you're not already following us on Instagram, do so so you can tune in every Tuesday or catch the replay the next day. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. So let's talk about sex in the city overall. What's your opinion? I know you said you loved it. So now let's just get into it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm not going to sit here and be like, that's the best show on television and there are no problems with it. It's definitely not problematic because especially watching it back, I'm like, holy shit. There's so many, so many problems, so many problems. I'll and they talk just about followed them themselves in into, and just like that, oh even though God. they tried to course correct. <laughs> oh my God. They're like, I know the writer's room. They're like, here's what I think we should do. We should start the season super cringe so that people don't want to continue watching, but then we slowly get to the point. So then towards the end, people are like, okay, I see what you were doing all along. But in the meantime, we will have lost half the viewers or more. What do you think guys? <laughs> what was that the goal? Because everyone I talked to is like, yeah, I didn't watch that. That shows piece of shit. Um, but everyone I talked to who's watched it is like, is same exact sentiment who watched it. And then when they announced there's a season two livid, like tables were turned. I miss that there's a season two uh, by the end of, and just like that, I was listening to the writer's room podcast every freaking week. <laughs> like I was like in it, but again, I'm not saying that there's not problems. So I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Okay, guys, just acknowledging that. But did I present it as programming when I was an RA? Check. <laughs> did I go to the tour in New York City with that same best friend from college? Yes. Check. Did I organize <laughs> a viewing party uh, when the first movie came out with about 20 women and an after party where we all dressed up? Yes. Check. Did I dress up like Harry for Halloween circa? Well, it was probably like 2003. Check. Like I freaking loved it. Um, but yeah, I really, I really, really loved it. And I watched all, I've watched all the movies I've watched the entire series multiple times. Um, yeah, but I think that it's not without its faults. I agree. It's not without its faults. Like, like we mentioned earlier, I own every single season on DVD. If it's on TV, I don't turn it off. Like, there's something about it and it may and for me, I think it's because maybe because I've never lived anywhere else. So when when TV shows and movies, specifically more TV shows, are set in a city that I always thought I would end up in. I tend to like keep them going because it feels like that's what my life would have been had I had options or made different choices. I I did live in a big city, but I didn't move to that one. And I was 
planning on doing a stint in New York. And let's just say long story short, I didn't. And it's definitely falls under like life regrets. Um, any TV show or movie, like set it in New York, I'll probably be down to watch it. So yeah, same, same. Yeah. And so the problem which falls into why certain types of shows are problematic when it comes to people like us who like we thought these things would happen and then they didn't and we hold on to them is because it's not you know a fair representation it's such a here's what I was thinking about earlier today on my walk it actually is a really great representation of like what a homogenous life looks like in the city I think because if you're a wealthy white woman you probably run with other wealthy white women. None of those women were really hurting for money. If you think about it, Carrie's the least financially stable of them all, but that's because of the choices she's making with money rather than what her income truly is. And so I think that's my perception. No, it's 100% choices. And woman had like 40 grand in shoes. Yeah. And you know, she's, doing all these really amazing things and yes she marries big and he's got money but the point is is they're all not that far off in terms of socioeconomic status so they're all going to be spending time with each other so like yes I support the argument of like the show's bullshit because there aren't any people of color on it and that's just not New York City but I wonder from that rich wealthy white perspective if it really is actually a representation of New York in the mm. way that being white in New York is. Mm, like OG Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. Poor Vanessa and her bad hair. Oh I don't know who God. the fuck. I don't I... know who the fuck did that to that brown girl. Like, no. As no. soon as. I was immediately, I was like, let's not even get into the whole <laughs> Vanessa thing. Like, she got so much. Vanessa got trashed on. Mm-hmm. Trashed on. And. And they didn't do any or any, any, they did a lot of disservices to her on the show. Yes. Costuming, hair, storylines, makeup, makeup, all of it. Yeah. It was almost like they were like, well, we saw Sex in the City and they got criticized for not having people of color. So let's throw in Vanessa. So it's not so homogenous. But, but let's then also shit on her every, her. yeah, let's shit on her every chance we get. So we're going to have one person of color um and they then we're just gonna shit on them more than anybody else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's that's the plan that's the plan you guys you're you're in we're all in. up we're all in let's all right do it. let's ship it let's go fuck it ship it let's do it so that's my theory about sex in the city that it's actually a representation of what being white and rich in new york is I they can... wouldn't they wouldn't be hanging out with people of color that's not their world i can absolutely see that that is why I like Harlem, which Cache is coming on for. <laughs> and anybody listening who has Amazon Prime needs to get their ass over to that show ASAP because it is like so good. And I will get into it at a, in a different episode with our friend Cache. Cannot wait. But yeah, I'm just like, I get it. I'm here for the criticism. I'm here for the frustration. 100%. Like the Cosby's lived in Brooklyn. I knew there were black people in New York before sex in the city told me there weren't. Yeah. But at the same time, when I think about, and I don't know if you have this experience being mixed, 
but it's like been in my experience when I kind of sometimes I'll look around the room and be like, how did I get myself surrounded by this many white friends? I love them all dearly. At the same time, there's moments where I'm just like, how did I do this to myself? (laughs) Where did did all the black people go? (laughs) I mean... I also don't leave the house anymore. So that's, you know, more now it's more like all my friends are online. (laughs) I should probably get out and make friends. Yeah. It's overrated. Overrated. I'm just that bitch stuck in her hometown, still friends with all her friends from high school. (laughs) That's my storyline. I mean, I can't be like, you've got me. going on going on 23 years of friendship <laughs> more from the same home? more 24 that was a ish. long time it was a long last century it's mm-hmm. fine so last century so last century oh my god if you understand the nuances and intersections of being a bipoc woman a woman identifying a woman in a male-dominated industry and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. Are you a creative working in corporate America and frustrated by the lack of support or understanding from non-creatives at your work? Are you an aspiring creative looking for ways to move into a professional creative career and unsure how? Are you a creative feeling lonely and frustrated by a lack of community? Exhausted Creatives wants you. This network brings together creatives who are exhausted by corporate America, capitalism, work environments, or social situations where people think your creativity is cute and want to find comfort and satisfaction in their creative careers with like-minded people. Memberships are open. Check out Exhausted Creatives on Instagram. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email popculturemakesmejealous at gmail.com to get started. How do you think this show informed your opinions, subtle or otherwise, about wealthy, powerful women? Uh, It informed them very very directly in a very negative way. <laughs> and I can't blame things on sex in the city. If I could blame them on them, then I would have sued and gotten my money back. But <laughs> um, was I, I think that when I was young, I got this impression or, and it, this is probably also just having to be like young and just not, not smart. Um, maybe just can't do basic addition, but (laughs) I was very, I felt very much like, you know what? Like I'm an adult now. I, I deserve this. And like, I'm an adult. I have, I have leveled up my life without Mm -hmm. actually having like the funds to back it up. Um, so 
and I think sex in the city didn't necessarily help, you know, seeing Carrie, you know, she's like, could never really afford things really, but she always managed to scrape together $500 for another pair of Manolos. Mm -hmm. And that she's like, that's my jam. Like, so shoes cost $500. I'm like, is that how grownups are? Shoes equal $500. I mean, I guess like I'll, I'll just skip the shoes and just going out to dinner and drinks and clubbing with my friends and um just racking up credit card debt left and right yeah, so um that's that's on me those were choices mm-hmm. was my idol carrie bradshaw yeah so <laughs> um ask me about my debt journey if you would like to get some advice about that yeah yeah I think Sex in the City definitely made me, had me believe that I was supposed to grow up to have like that solid group of three. Oh. Where that we, and I make four. Mm-hmm. And we see that a lot in TV. We see that a lot represented in television where there's four or six. It's mm-hmm. either four, four all female or six, three or men, three, three women. Mm-hmm. And that's, just not always true mm-hmm. but I sure as shit believed that that was what adulthood was going to be yeah just like a really close-knit mm-hmm. group and you just hung out forever yeah mm-hmm. yeah now the idea of living with somebody as a roommate in the way that like Monica and Rachel did absolutely not 100 <laughs> no like pay me enough couldn't pay me enough no i don't even know if 10 years ago i'd have been willing to do it i'll live in a tiny home by myself thank you very much yeah i won't no Mm -mm. can't do that ever again no and that's fine yeah sex in the city hasn't avoided criticism for its lack of diversity especially for being a show that is set in new york city and while i don't disagree with the criticism as I mentioned earlier. I think it highlights just how homogenous wealthy white women's worlds can be. Say that five times fast. Mm -hmm. I'll buy a cocktail or a mocktail if you're not a drinker. Carly, thank you again for joining me today. You know I love it when you come by. You know I love your unwavering support. You know I love you. (laughs) And you know that I love being a Patreon, Julia. So at home, if you haven't checked that out yet, you need to do it become a patreon pal can you tell our friends at home where they can find you if they want to keep up with you absolutely you can find me um at my site tidyrevival.com or instagram facebook tiktok pinterest at tidy revival yay thanks julia i love tidy revival she's tidy revivaled my house so many times because apparently uh, every room needs a little tlc Oh, yeah, we all need a little TLC. Mm-hmm. Because I think people, and we'll get into this on your show, I think people think that it's one big overhaul. But really, it's like what I've learned from Carly Adams is that it's one room at a time. Sometimes it's just one stack at a time. We were talking about it on the Q&A call today. In my community, we have Q&A calls twice a month. And um, we were talking about how the best analogy that I'm loving at the moment for getting organized is it's like hydration oh 
because you can't do it all at once. It's going to make you sick. It's going to make you very uncomfortable. Yeah. And you can't just do it one day and then just kind of be done. It has to be like a little bit at a time consistently. And that's yeah. what's going to leave you feeling great. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just lump it in with your other healthy habits. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is written, edited, and produced by me, Julia Washington, and I am fueled by the incredible support system of women who allow me to run ideas, cry, melt down whenever I feel overwhelmed. I also want to do a big shout out to our Patreon community. Thank you for your continued support. It brings me great joy to bring you quality content and monthly get-togethers. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.